Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. I'm going to preach to you using as a subject the search for worthiness. The search for worthiness. It's believed that those who perceive themselves as worthy, and what I mean by worthy is believing that you are worthy of two things specifically, one, love, and two, belonging. I wonder who here believes that you are worthy of love and belonging. Maybe you believe it's not Christian, it's not right to be worthy of love and belonging, or do you even think of yourself that way? But it's proven in research that those who believe that they are worthy of both love and belonging are more happy, they're more fulfilled and they're more generous than those who deem themselves unworthy. And I want to preach to you this message, the search of worthiness. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you that without you, we can do nothing. But since we are not without you, we have everything. And God, I pray that in these brief moments that we have together, that you would open up the eyes of the blind, that you would give vision to those who have had none, and that you will show up and do what only you can do, what man cannot do, what effort cannot do, what business, what government cannot do. Come and show up and touch our hearts and change our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone said, and everybody said, amen, amen. Touch two people and tell them you look good as you're having a seat. Fantastic. Has anybody ever bleached your hair by show of hands? Look at the hair bleachers. Fantastic. I see a bald man back there saying, I have. Well, you haven't because you're bald. So he says, that's why he's bald. Amen. And I want to tell you specifically about hair bleaching, and you'll get to it. I'll get to it in just a minute. At age 16, I was in a Christian punk rock band called the Sunny Nights. Now, we were at a band competition in Orlando, Florida, a battle of the bands of sorts. And my band competed. And I felt like we did a fantastic job, but we were obviously not among the top tier of the bands. I was age 16 at the time. It was summer of, I believe, going into my sophomore year. And those were the days when music was good. You don't know about Blink-182. You don't know about Sum 41. You don't know about the All-American Rejects. You don't know about Smash Mouth. Somebody once told me the world was gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shoe. You know about some Smash Mouth. So there I was, age 16, rocking out, Christian punk rock, and our band placed 11th or something along the lines. I was deflated 
but I was admiring the performance of the winning band. And I noticed something about the winning band, specifically and particularly their front man. Now their front man was rocking skinny jeans, Chuck Taylors, a Lucky Charms t-shirt, straightened bangs, but the edge that he had, his bangs were highlighted. And I thought in my little 16 brain, that must be the key. That's why they're winners. So what did I do? When I got back home, preparing for the new school I was about to attend, I said, Mom, I need to bleach my bangs. And mom said, why? I said, I said, I just have this idea that, uh, of bleaching my bangs. She's like highlighting your hair. No, 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 bleaching just my, just my bangs. Like your hair, no, just my bangs. Like, like that to the side. She said, okay. So we went to Walmart and we went through the aisle and she, we picked out some options. And, and, uh, and I, I'm new to the whole bleaching and hair dye world. And it's not something that I have indulged in up until that point, and it's not something I've indulged in after that point. And mom said, here, how about this one? And it, and it was a discount uh, hair bleach of sorts, and it had a, a girl on the front. I was like, I don't know if I want the one with the girl on the front. I want the one with the man on the front. She goes, no, no, this one's discount. It's on sale. I said, okay, mom, fine. You know more about bleaching and hairing than I do. So there we go. We go, we go home, and, and I'm in, in mom's restroom, right? And so, and so I'm putting, like, this foil stuff on my hair and, 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 uh, and, and putting it in, and, it, and I'm setting it in, and, like, all of a sudden my scalp's starting to hurt. It's like, mom, this hurts. I don't like it. And she says, now you know how I feel. And, and so, <laughs> so I, I hold it in for what feels like hours, uh, this foil substance in my hair. And finally, the moment of truth. We take off the foil substance, whatever, rinse it out, do a little hair drying. And I look at my hair and I, and I see my reflection in the mi- mirror and my hair is neither bleached nor blonde. It's more of a blorange. <laughs> and there was silence. Until what seemed like an eternity, my mom broke the silence with, well, at least we got it on sale. <laughs> so there I go, going to my new school with my bleached hair. And so I remember, I'll never forget this. I'm getting to the point. In U.S. history class with Dr. James Soans, I'm sitting in the second row, and behind me there's an individual named uh, Cody, okay? And to my left is my best friend since age seven, Daniel. And, and, uh, and I remember we were passing our homework forward, and all of a sudden Dr. Soans says these words. He says, who didn't put your name on the paper? And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> And then reluctantly, I kind of raised my hand and, you know, the whole class is looking around. And it's like, it's me. It's me. And then he asked again, obviously didn't see my hand. He said, who didn't put their name on this, on the paper? And I'll never forget, Cody, he spoke up and said, the guy right here with pea stain in his hair. <laughs> and I look around, some people are starting to laugh and, and my buddy Daniel starts laughing as well. You know, and in that moment, I thought of what I could say, but I couldn't say it because as silly and as, uh, as naive as it sounds, that hurt. 
I was embarrassed. I felt small in that moment. I think my hands kind of started shaking a little bit. And, it, and not necessarily the fact that I was insulted publicly, but the fact that someone close to me was laughing along and didn't stick up for me. And in that moment, I felt this sensation of this belief system, which I understand now, didn't understand then, but because of my faults, I am unworthy of belonging, which is defined as shame. I want to speak to you today using a subject of shame. Now, now shame is not necessarily something to laugh at. Shame is diabolical, and I want to read you a definition of shame. And here it is. Shame is the vexing experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging or unworthy of connection. So what do we do with shame? Well, the truth is the only way to avoid shame, blame, and criticism is what? To say nothing, do nothing, and go nowhere. <laughs> that sounds silly, but that's where a lot of us live our lives, isn't it? Avoiding shame, we don't speak up. Avoiding shame, we don't show up with our full emotion and our full self in our relationship. To avoid shame and rejection, many of us haven't been writing when we know that we have a gifting to write. Many of us, in order to avoid shame and rejection, we avoid being around people who we perceive as better, better looking or more talented than us. To avoid shame or rejection, oftentimes we keep ourselves only around people whom we feel comfortable with or superior to. Shame is diabolical. And the thing about shame is it thrives with three elements. Here it is. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And oftentimes, many of us have shame triggers deep within us that have been instilled when we were young. And many of us don't even acknowledge our shame because we've suppressed it. And because we've suppressed it, therefore it thrives. Now, I want to unpack that a little bit deeper by understanding the difference between shame and guilt. And, and why do I make this difference with shame and, and with, with guilt? Because the more that we talk about shame, the less we have shame. And I can tell I'm hitting a lot of shame triggers because this room went from roaring with laughter to complete silence. And I wonder, and I want you to go there in your mind, what shame triggers may be coming up right now? G go there right now. Feel that. What shame triggers have kept you from being yourself? One thing wild that has been proven in the research of shame is shame even is even an element that stifles creativity. It's an antithesis to it. So you've been able to do some of the creative things that you used to do, maybe even as a child, because you have so much shame built up on the inside. Maybe not necessarily because of something you did or didn't do, but because of something some, someone placed on you. Now, 
there's a difference between guilt and there's a difference between shame. Guilt is good and shame is ultimately bad. There's no, no positive that can come from shaming people. And we'll get into that in a second. But before we do, I want to bring up something that has been tearing communities apart. It has caused division. It has caused, uh, it has caused terrible uh, dialogue toward one another. And it is dividing families. And ultimately, as a pastor, I want to shed light to this issue. And here it is. Uh, Laurel or Yanny? Okay. If you hear Laurel, raise your hand. If you hear Yanny, raise your hand. How many Yannies? Come on, Yannies, don't be afraid. I see, I saw a couple Yannies. Okay, here's, here's what's funny. So, uh, like, some people are hearing Laurel, some people are hearing Yanny. Anyone seen this on the internet yet? Okay, so it's almost a 50-50 split, but, I th- but based on the frequency, it depends on what you hear. So we can basically be hearing the same audio, but what we hear with our own auditory system is something completely different. Hence the difference between guilt and shame. And I want to reveal that for you. And I'm going to put up a, a, a little table so you can see this and take notes and write this down. And here it is. Guilt is a focus on behavior, but shame is a focus on self. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, I lost. But shame says, I'm a loser. Guilt says, I missed my alarm. But shame says, I am lazy. Guilt says, I need to cancel. Shame says, I'm a bad friend. (laughs) I wonder where the shame is in your life. Shame is also known as and illustrated as the 20 ton shield that we carry around. A 20 ton shield that protects us from being hurt, obviously. It protects us from pain, but at the same time, the same shield that protects you from pain also protects you from pleasure and connection as well. So I wonder who's been carrying around a 20 ton shield of sorts. I want to talk and reveal it in scripture because there's a moment of worthiness and shame in Luke chapter 15. Go with me to Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, verse 11. And I want to set this passage up, okay, as you're going there um, with your Bibles. This is Jesus speaking, and, and Jesus, his ministry is on the scene. And this setting, he is surrounded by, uh, in the text, it, it talks about tax collectors and sinners, okay? And the scribes and Pharisees are asking constantly and consistently to each other, sending people to ask Jesus, why is it, this big question, why is it, Jesus, that you, who call yourself to be a prophet, or is to be a prophet, hang out with sinful people. In other words, shameful people. They call it hanging out with sinners, which in that day would be people of a shameful repute. So why is it, Jesus, why does he hang out with the shameful people? 
I mean, these, these guys, these Pharisees are baffled. And so Jesus overhears these mutters and responds to their, uh, their question with three stories, just as he does. He tells three stories. The first story is the story of uh, a sheep, a lost sheep, which reveals the nature of the son. The second story is a story about a lost coin. And the the story reveals the nature of the Holy Spirit. And the third story, which we're going to look at particularly today, is a story about a son. In fact, it's a story about two sons, primarily about a father. And he goes into this story, and we're going to read it and unpack it briefly in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. One son got half the estate, the other got the other half of the estate. And not long after that, was it five hours? Was it five days? Was it five years? We don't really know. The younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in Wild living. In other words, he made his way to Vegas. He, he went off and, and to, to seek some sort of self-indulgence. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be indeed. So what did he do? He, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to do what? To feed pigs. Instead of going home, he thought it would be better based on something that was happening internally that he would have to hire himself out to feed pigs, which would be borderline insulting to the Jewish father of high repute. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything, going from a place where he had plenty and enough to a place where he literally had nothing. And even his occupation was shameful to his family. And when he came to his senses, scripture says, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food enough to spare? And here I am starving to the point of death. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There's the word worthy. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And we don't know uh, the distance between the son and the father, but scripture says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And delivers his speech. With a son that we can see Shame symptoms, because shame manifests itself in two specific behaviors. The first thing the son did, instead of going home to where he could have plenty, in fear of shame, 
he hid out among the pigs. I'm sure he knew and believed that potentially his father would take him in, but because the fear of the element of being shamed, he settled for less. He hid out. I wonder who here today is hiding out in fear of being shamed. And the second thing that he does, he comes to his senses and he essentially comes to the point of death where he needs something. And he says, here's what I'll do. I'll write this speech. Then maybe my father will take me in. So he pulls out some scroll and dips feather in ink and he starts to write, Father, I'm no lo- I have sinned uh, against heaven and against you and I, um, uh, let me make myself look really bad. I'm, I'm no longer worthy. Yeah, that's it. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Here's what you do. Make me like one of your hired hands. He says, I'm no longer worthy. And he goes and he, he, he embraces his father and his father's accepting him and kissing him. But he's essentially pushing his father off of him as he wraps his arms around him and says, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But what's interesting is the father completely ignores the pithy, pathetic speech. And he just goes on, and, but the father said to his servants, quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. It's interesting. The father ignores the speech. Okay. Oftentimes we hear this story and we, we see, oh, the son went off, had troubles, went to Vegas, but then his heart changed. He came home, the father accepted him in. Oh, yay, that's so romantic. Yay, we're Christians, yay. Okay, but this story is not just a yay story. This is scandalous and ridiculous because if I was the father, I would say, yeah, you're no longer worthy. You know what, son? You, prob- you really aren't no longer worthy. And you know what? If I embrace you and bring you in, what would keep you from doing this again? Okay? Well, you know what? Make a hired hand? Yes. You know what? I'm gonna, I'll let you be a hired hand for a while and let you earn your way back to where you were so you can understand the value of a dollar. And, it's, and the father, what he does is contrary to logic. The father takes, Scripture says, the best robe, which would have been the father's own robe, and he puts it on him in a sense of covering his shame. And he doesn't stop there. The father goes and and he says, get a ring and put it on his finger. The ring that he, he would have retrieved would have been a signet ring, which would have been contrary to a modern day credit card. That ring gave him authority, gave him status, gave him the ability to go out into the marketplace and purchase what he wanted because it held reputation that the bill would be covered. He gave a credit card to the one who squandered his wealth. That's ridiculous. That's irresponsible. And then he calls for sandals. What is the meaning behind the sandals? Servants 
was his request. Let me be one of the servants. Let me earn, let me work my way back into your good graces. Let me work my way back into your worth. But he says, no, get sandals and put it on my son's feet. Because servants, they work barefoot, but sons wear sandals. The robe, the ring, and the sandals. And the speech completely and utterly ignored. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. If you believe you are no longer worthy, then at one point in time, you must have believed that you were worthy. Based on what? Your performance. But the father covers him, disregards it. In other words, the observation from this passage is this. He was saying, in a sense, son, your worth was never based on your performance. Your worth has always been based on your birth. Worth, worthiness, performance, it has nothing to do with your right standing with me. You are my son. You are my son because you performed. You are my son because you were born. That's it. And the same thing happens when you accept Jesus. What does scripture say? You are, when you accept Christ, you are born again. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Therefore, Christ in you invalidates any shame that can be put on you. Christ in you invalidates any and all shame placed on you. Why? Scripture says Christ, he, he endured the cross in Hebrews, okay? He endured the cross, but it says that he despised shame. All of our shame was taken on the cross, not our guilt. We are guilty. You are guilty. But you don't have to live in shame because it's been covered, it's been paid for by Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Don't you act like you're not worthy. You can tell the worth of something by the price that was paid by someone who knows the, the true value of it. And Jesus bought you with his precious blood. You are worthy of love and belonging. You are worthy of love and belonging. Not because of your performance, but because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a brief application. Because oftentimes I can get in the state of <laughs> thinking, oh, this is illogical. They hurt me, so I want to shame them. If I was the father, I was like, I'm not going to give you the best robe. Why don't you get yourself over on to Burlington Robe Factory and start there and work your way up to the designer stuff? So here's the thing. Uh, we've come up, I've come up with this uh, family motto that I'm going to share with you here in a minute. But before I do, I want to ask you the question, has anyone ever played Words with Friends? All right, words with frienders, fantastic. I see some people like kind of like uh, ashamed of it, but uh, I, I played a little bit of words with friends in 2011. So I'm playing words with friends and I'm finding out that I'm a losing a lot more than I'm winning and I like to win. And so I'm getting really frustrated. And I go to my friend, Justin, whose score and his rank is diabolically high. And I say, Justin, what is the key? I hate this game. And Justin says this, don't you use the app? I said, what app? He's like, oh, the app, the, the cheating app. 
Everybody uses the cheating app. I was like, I didn't know there was a cheating app. And he says, yeah, we all use it. You haven't been using it yet? I said, no, I haven't been using the, the cheating app. So I realized that I've been losing because everybody else has been cheating. But I don't want to start cheating because if I'm cheating to win against cheaters, is there anyone really who's winning? Did you know the shame game is the same thing? Nobody wins in the shame game. Here's this application point. Here it is. Shut down the shame game. Shut it down. Someone texts you something in order to make you feel less about yourself. What are we going to do? Shut it down. We don't got to respond back and prove ourselves. We don't have to withdraw on it with high. We just shut it down. Nope, not interested. You're scrolling through Instagram and you see everybody else's beautiful life. And all of a sudden you start to think, I'm a loser. I suck because I'm not in Cabo right now. Shut it off. Shut down the shame game. It's over. Shame is a game that you don't have to play. Did you know that? It's just a game. If you don't play it, it can't hurt you. Shame is a game. And uh, it's very familiar for many of you that you've forgotten the difference of what it feels like to have it off you. But Christ in you invalidates any and all shame that's ever been placed on you. And I believe and I declare shame off you in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit of God, flow in this place. For those who have had deep-rooted shame year after year after year, decades of shame, I believe that they will unravel, wither, and die in the name of Jesus. Shame cannot stand in Jesus' name, for you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Will you stand with me as I close? We're going to sing this song one more time, but before we do, <laughs> what's interesting is there were two sons. And the father brings the son in, they start throwing a party, and there's dancing. He kills the fattened calf, and, and the brother, he's frustrated, quite frankly. Scripture says he was angry. And he, and he pulls his father aside as his father is trying to plead with him to come into the party. And the other son says, after where he's been, you are going to elevate him and acknowledge him again as your son. You're going to throw him a party after where he's been. I can't have any part of that. What do you have to say for yourself, dad? And the father responds to his son. After where he has been, here's where he's been. He said, my son was dead, but he is now alive. He was lost, but now he is found. Which is to say, where you have been does not define where you are going. And I know the son, he was nervous to come home because he knew his brother would shame him. But he came home anyway, embraced by the love of the father. And sometimes those closest to you are the ones that hurt you and shame you the worst. But I believe and declare shame off you in Jesus' name. You may not be who your family says you are, but you are who God says you are. You are chosen, not forsaken. You are a child of the most high God in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing. Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Do not wait another day. Here it is, one. On the count of three, God loves you so much. 
two, he died so that you can have life and everything changes today, three. If that's you, lift your hand and put it right back down. Thank you, I see you, who else? Who else? Thank you, I see you, who else? Who else? Thank you, thank you. For those of you who lifted your hands, I wanna ask that you, along with the entire congregation of believers, pray these words with me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the free gift that only you offer. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I choose today to give up my past, to give up my shame, and embrace the future that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can keep in touch with what is coming this season through social media and our City Life app. And Sunday, our favorite day of the week is on its way. We hope to see you at City Life.